Um, but today, we're going to be looking at shepherds and servants, or leadership in the local church. Uh, last week, we spent some time talking about the purpose of church, and we learned that her main purpose was to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, we discovered that the five pillars that support that purpose of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever were worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. Uh, we learned that God has spelled out each of these things in Scripture for us, and that both the why uh, the church exists and uh, the what uh, of what we do as a church, that those things never change. Um, but within the church, what about the structure? Um, I'm going to quote uh, this, this intro from Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Uh, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Uh, with that line in the last chapter of his, his tale of Animal Farm, George Orwell delivered his summary critique of Karl Marx in the Soviet Russian government. Uh, the story is a well-known one. Animals rise up, organize, displace the Joneses, who are, are the human owners of the farm, and begin to run the farm for their own benefit. Thus the name Animal Farm. Uh, they run it by animals for animals, so the story goes. Uh, of course, being after the fall, this uh, utopian experiment is bound to fail, and it does. In the end, a new ruling class emerges, the pigs, and by the book's conclusion, they're putting up those signs all over the place. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Uh, among other things, Orwell in Animal Farm is critiquing the abuse of authority. Unfortunately, it's something we've become accustomed to, um, even hearing about or even experiencing ourselves. But is authority in and of itself a bad thing? Is godly authority a bad thing? Uh, I want to suggest this morning that it's not. Uh, I love these words from 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 4. 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 4. Um, so David is on his deathbed, and here's what he says. It says, now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And here it is. Here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth, on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Godly authority, rightly exercised, helps everyone under it to flourish. That's what David is saying there. So, does the Bible actually speak about church leadership? Or are we left in the dark trying to figure it out for ourselves? Better yet, are we free to invent our own leadership system, kind of based on the newest, most efficient business models? Or does God give us direction? 
who should lead the local church? Uh, I want to suggest to us this morning from the scriptures that there are two offices, scripturally speaking, in the local church, deacons and elders. The first leaders in the New Testament church were, as we know, the apostles. Uh, Along with apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are all mentioned in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 that we read last week. But apostles, prophets, and evangelists are, are not typically recognized as offices pertaining to the local church. Uh, When you search the New Testament, there's no instructions or qualifications for apostles, prophets, and evangelists, like there are for deacons and elders. Uh, Also, they aren't mentioned as officers of any of the local churches in the New Testament. Uh, Most biblical scholars see that that apostles and prophets were extraordinary ministries, which kind of served a, a foundational purpose, but are not mentioned as ongoing offices in the church. In fact, after Acts chapter 6, which we're going to look at in depth in just a little bit, after Acts 6, we see the apostles kind of fading into the background. Uh, By Acts chapter 15, the apostles, uh, as part of what's known as the Jerusalem Council, they don't even hand down a decision, uh, but instead they act in unity with the elders and the whole uh, church or assembly. So what we do see in the New Testament are two distinct offices in the local church. We see elders and we see deacons. Uh, Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul and Timothy, so he's writing to the church of Philippi, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Uh, It's these two offices that I want us to focus on this morning. Uh, I know that these, these, you know, kind of topical studies can be somewhat academic, uh, and that last week probably felt to many of you like like drinking from a fire hose. Um, But I I want us to understand that uh, both last week and this week are implications of the gospel. Uh, Jesus came to this world to rescue ruined sinners like you and like me. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place, taking the full wrath of God that every single one of us deserve. He rose from the grave to give eternal life to all who would repent and believe. And he did all of that by grace. But those same people that he saved, he didn't abandon. He didn't leave us wallowing, wondering what we should do from that point forward. He called them into local outposts of the gospel, into communities that would display his glory to the ends of the earth. He called them and us into local churches. And our God isn't a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And he gives us instructions about what the church is and how she's to function and even how to structure leadership. All of this that we're talking about last week and this week is an implication of the gospel and a display of God's character. So uh, office number one, we're going to start with deacons. Um, And I would call deacons lead servants. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open there. We're going to be in this text for, for a little while. 
Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. This is right at the beginning of the New Testament church, Acts chapter 6. You've got all of these people who have heard the gospel and come to know Jesus, been baptized and brought into the local church at Pentecost, and they're beginning to structure and organize. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. First and foremost, uh, I want us to see that this is really where the office of deacon began. Uh, The apostles, which would eventually transition into local church elders, they saw their role and calling as two things, the ministry of the word and prayer. Uh, We see that in verses 2 and 4, the ministry of the word and prayer. And in order to to steward that calling well, they appointed these people to, it says, serve tables. Uh, That word serve in Greek is diakoneo, which is the word we use for deacon. Uh, These men that are are chosen are lead servants. Uh, They're chosen to meet practical needs in the congregation. Uh, We know that, that all of us, according to Scripture, All of us are called to serve as Jesus served, but these specifically are chosen to be officially recognized servants. Uh, They're examples to the rest of the congregation of what faithful service looks like. Uh, Again, elders are are set aside for the ministry of the word and prayer, which we're going to discuss later, and this is a distinct office. But in order to create that space for elders to function biblically, Deacons are instituted to kind of create bandwidth. Now, in many churches, Baptist churches being the the chief among sinners here, uh, deacons can end up taking on more of an authoritative role, uh, ruling and a decision-making role. Uh, They're kind of the the power brokers of the church, so to speak. I don't know how to say it without just being blunt, Uh, That's not what what this passage or the rest of the Bible teaches. Uh, A deacon is a lead servant, and this isn't a negative thing at all. Uh, Jesus himself took on the role of servant, even to the point of washing his disciples' feet. Uh, Without deacons deaconing, the church simply wouldn't function the way that God intended it to. But what are the qualifications for a deacon? Well, Before we jump into 
the, the first Timothy qualifications, which gives a, a bigger picture of this, I want us to stay in Acts 6 for just a second. Acts 6, notice verse 3. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. Even that one verse tells us a lot about the qualifications for deacons. We hear that their function is service and meeting practical needs in the church. And it's easy for us just to stop and think, okay, well, if that's their role, service and meeting practical needs in the church, we basically need a good old boy who's good at fixing things. They're a Mr. Fix-It type who works with their hands. Not exactly. First, it says good repute. They have a good reputation. People know them to be upstanding individuals. Further, it says full of the spirit and wisdom. These are our spiritual people who not only know God's word, but they know how to apply it. They have wisdom. And all of that comes into play in how a deacon ministers. Practical example, part of a deacon's role is administering benevolence to help out hurting church members and non-church members as well. As a pastor, you don't have to be around for long to figure out that those types of decisions take wisdom and someone that's full of the Spirit. I'm sure Harold could, could tell you that to be the case. Not everyone who comes asking for benevolence or asking for money is genuine. There, there are certain people we shouldn't help, either because it would actually hurt them or uh, because it would be bad stewardship of the congregation's offering. It's always a fine line, though. It takes wisdom. And the deacons are typically the ones making that call. People fill out a benevolence form. It goes to the deacons who prayerfully decide how to best help the individuals involved. That's a practical act of service right there that I'm incredibly grateful for that God has given the office of deacon. All right, so let's look at further qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3. So we've got a good reputation, wise and full of the Spirit. And then in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, we have these instructions. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children, and let their own household and uh, 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 managing their their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, I'm not going to walk through each of these words in detail this morning. Uh, if, if you have specific questions about specific words in that text, uh, I'd love to answer those. We're actually going to do a Q&A time after the service today where you can ask any question you have uh, about those qualifications or even what 
that looks like. But what I want you to see here um, from, from the beginning is that these are all character qualities. Uh, these aren't skills or professional accolades. God is, is looking for a person of character to serve his bride, the church. Uh, they also play a, a vital role in serving in such a way, like we said earlier, that the elders are freed up to pursue their calling. Uh, I want to ask the, the members of this church to go home this week, to, to read that text over and over and over again, to pray through that text. Uh, then I want you to actually consider who might be a good fit for this here at Santa Cruz Baptist Church. Uh, as the Lord draws someone to mind, email me, call me, uh, let me know who, who comes to mind as you're, you're looking at that text. Uh, I've already prayerfully identified uh, four different people that I think would be a good fit for this. And we're going to be starting deacon training uh, even this month. Uh, but practically, at the end of, the, of deacon training, uh, these people will be brought before you for a vote. First uh, Timothy 3.10 is clear that deacons should be tested first. Uh, so that's what we're doing. And again, we're reaching out asking you to pray through this, think through it. Uh, give us names of people that you see that fit these, these qualifications. Uh, again, we're going to be doing Q&A after the service, so I'll leave it there for now. Okay, the other office in the church is the office of elder. And I want us to start by looking at a few different terms that we see in Scripture. First, overseer um, or bishop, episkopos. Uh, we see this, this word episkopos in passages like Acts 20, 28, where it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Again, Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. 1 Timothy 3.1-2, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Titus 1.7, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. And then finally, 1 Peter 5.2. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That word episkopos, oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. <coughs> While uh, the term episkopos is most commonly uh, translated overseer, it's also been, been translated as bishop from time to time, which took on a, a completely extra-biblical meaning within the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, while each of, of the above usages of the term refers to leaders who were in local churches, uh, the term bishop came to be used to refer to one of the most significant titles in the Roman Catholic hierarchy. Uh, bishops in the Catholic Church ruled and currently rule over many churches and lower clergy. Uh, we would see that as inconsistent with the scriptural evidence for, for what that word means. In scripture, an episcopos or an overseer is a leader in a local church who gives spiritual oversight. 
Another word, the next word, is shepherd or pastor. Poimen uh, is the Greek word. So we've got episkopos and then poimen, uh, shepherd or pastor. Uh, while this word is used significantly less than uh, episkopos, uh, it's commonly used of Jesus as the good shepherd uh, and the shepherd of Israel. Further, uh, it's clearly a role that church leaders are expected to fill uh, as under-shepherds of Christ. First uh, Peter 5.2, shepherd, that's that word, poimen, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Uh, we also see the verbal form in Acts 20.28, 20, which we're going to look at in, in just a bit. Uh, the only other place that we see this word referring to church leadership is again in Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Uh, so don't get me wrong. Uh, this is still a very biblical term to use for a church leader uh, because of the function of shepherd and pastor. Uh, it's very much in line with what you see shepherds doing uh, in the Old Testament and even in Israel today. Uh, shepherds take care of the sheep. They protect the flock from wolves. They feed the sheep. They lead them and they correct them. It's a good thing when under-shepherds resemble Jesus, the good shepherd. So we've got overseers, we've got shepherds and pastors. And then third, we've got the actual word elder, uh, which is the Greek word presbyteros. Passages that reference elders in the local church would include these. Acts 11.30, Acts 14.23, Acts 15.2, 4, 6, 22, and 23. Acts 16, 4, Acts 20, verse 17, 21, verse 18, 1 Timothy 5, 17, and 19, Titus 1, 5, James 5, 14, 1 Peter 5, 1, 2 John 1, and 3 John 1, and possibly 1 Peter 5, 5. So you can see this is uh, one that, that's very frequently used to describe church leadership. So if you haven't figured this out by now, uh, these three terms uh, are, are, seem to be interchangeable, um, and, and they seem to be uh, in, in different ways describing the same office. Uh, the clearest two passages where we see this are Acts chapter 20 and 1 Peter 5. So Acts 20 verse 17, uh, we see that Paul's talking to the, the elders or, or the presbyteros in the city of Ephesus. So Acts 20, 17, he says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he gathers this group called elders. Then, while he's speaking to this group in verse 28, he says this to them. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. There's that word, poimen, poimenon. Uh, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You've got those three words in the exact same text speaking to the exact same group of people. First uh, Peter chapter 5 is very similar to that. Peter says this, First uh, Peter 5, 1 through 2, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. 
So he's exhorting elders, presbyteros. And then this is what he says to him, verse 2. Shepherd, poimen, shepherd the flock of uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, episkopos, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So again, verse one, Peter addresses the elders presbyteros. Then he tells them in verse two to pastor or shepherd poimen the flock and to serve as overseers, episcopos. While a singular term for the leaders of a church doesn't seem to concern them too much, they do seem to care greatly about what these people do, and, more importantly, who they are as Christians. Okay, so, we've already kind of been answering this question, but what does an elder do? What is the role of an elder? One theologian has described the role of a shepherd or an elder as a subtle blend of authority and care, and as much toughness as tenderness, as much courage as comfort. And I think that's right. Uh, The following are roles of elders that we clearly see in Scripture. Shepherding the flock. Uh, the, The classic passage using this shepherd imagery is Psalm 23 where the shepherd, King David, wrote this. He said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, The Bible also uses this shepherd imagery to describe those who lead God's people in Ezekiel 34. It's no wonder that why both Paul and Peter would use this imagery to describe elders in a local church. Uh, This isn't an image of a distant ruling board, but instead uh, of a caring, loving leader who's amidst the sheep, who smells like the sheep, who knows the sheep. Almost all of the the following roles that we're going to walk through are are part uh, of that umbrella uh, of shepherding the flock. Uh, As keepers of the sheep, New Testament elders are, are to protect to feed, to lead, and care for the flock's many practical needs. So first of all, feeding the flock, or the ministry of the word. Feeding the flock. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, one of the primary roles that we see given to elders in the church is that of feeding the sheep. Uh, Jesus, as the good shepherd, he was consistently teaching the flock. And he even commissioned them in Matthew 28 to teach all that he had taught them. He even gave them the Holy Spirit to help them and to recall all that he had said and done in John 14, 26. Uh, We also see Jesus speaking to Peter in John chapter 21. And what does he tell him three times? If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. That's right. Uh, This role of elder it is front and center for Jesus in his church. He wanted Peter to know that, that this role of feeding the sheep is vital, and it's at the center of what I want you to do. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul tells Timothy to give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Uh, even more, this is one of the qualifications that we'll see to be an elder, able to teach. 
Uh, we're going to talk about this a, a bit more within the protecting role, but sheep love to eat, and they don't always eat what's healthy for them. They often, uh, speaking of literal sheep, that uh, they often eat trash and poisonous weeds. Part of, of the feeding role of a shepherd is to make sure that the sheep are eating good food, good grass, what's nutritious for them. A faithful elder must be able to feed the sheep with the word of God. Second, leading the flock. So if our first role is feeding the flock, the second one is leading the flock. Uh, Again, sheep left to themselves tend to roam and get lost. A faithful shepherd works hard at managing, stewarding, and setting direction for the sheep. In 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul says this. He says, let the elders who rule, and that word rule can be translated lead or direct or manage. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worth, uh, worthy of double honor. Titus 1.7 states that elders should be morally and spiritually above reproach because they are God's stewards. Uh, this word means that they're household managers. Uh, who have responsibility over the master's servants, property, and even finances. Further, as we learned earlier, elders are called overseers, which means that they supervise and manage the church. So uh, elders feed the flock. Elders lead the flock. Third, they protect the flock. Uh, Third role of elders in the local church is to protect the flock from false teachers. And wolves. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says this. Again, he's he's speaking to these Ephesian elders, and he says, pay careful attention. In other words, be on guard. Why? Well, look at verses 29 through 31. He tells them to to pay attention or, or be on guard because, verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Friends, the scriptures are are clear that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8 But one of the primary ways that Satan devours Christians is through false teaching. That's been his playbook since day one, hasn't it? In the garden, Satan subtly twisted God's word and got Adam and Eve to question what God really said. Faithful elders must protect the flock from wolves and roaring lions. So elders feed the flock, they lead the flock, they protect the flock. Fourth, they're examples to the flock. 1 Peter 5, 2-3 says this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Elders are called to be examples to the flock. And to make this point, I want us to actually walk through the qualifications for an elder. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. 
1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Similarly, these qualifications are also found in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. But what I want to point out is that other than the qualification of able to teach, which we see in that list, other than that qualification, uh, the rest of these qualifications are, again, character qualities. And even more than that, they're, they're character qualities that I would suggest should be true of every Christian. So back to the role of examples to the flock, 1 Peter 5. Elders are men who can be pointed to to make the statement, if you want to know what it looks like to live the Christian life faithfully, watch that guy. Imitate him. Look at him. Follow him. Well, we see Paul making that statement all over the place. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians 4.6, 1 Corinthians 11.1, and Philippians 3.17. That's what elders are. Yes, they shepherd, lead, feed, and protect, but they're examples to the flock of godliness and faithfulness to Christ. So, inevitably, when discussing elders and deacons, the question always comes up, how many should we have? Well, while the Bible doesn't give us a specific number or even a ratio of congregation number to elders, again, we're not left completely in the dark. Uh, the Bible clearly teaches that there's a consistent pattern of a plurality of elders among the first churches. What I'm saying is that what we see in the New Testament is that there's consistently multiple elders in one local church. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We see that elders, plural, governed the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15. Uh, Acts 14, here's another example, Acts 14, 23. And when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, singular, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, plural, and deacons, plural. Finally, 1 Peter 5.1, so I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. 
What I'm wanting us to see is that there's a consistent pattern in the New Testament of elders, plural, in the church, singular. And as far as we can see, each elder is on the same authority plane. Uh, there's not kind of a, an elder hierarchy of some sort, uh, where one elder has more authority in the church than others. Uh, what seems to be the case is a plurality of elders linking arms and shepherding together. Uh, they certainly may have different responsibilities or, or loads, but scripturally, they're all pastors together. So, practically, how does one become an elder or a deacon at Santa Cruz Baptist Church? Uh, first and foremost, I would say that the title of elder or deacon doesn't cause someone to start functioning like an elder or deacon. Uh, a title that doesn't cause someone to start functioning that way. Uh, when looking for church leadership, uh, we want to look around and see who's already functioning like an elder or a deacon, but kind of without the name tag. Uh, that's where the process starts. Uh, it's kind of like missionaries. Uh, you don't become a missionary by getting on a plane and going overseas. Typically, someone goes overseas because they're already functioning like a missionary uh, on their own home turf. Um, so that's kind of where the process starts. Um, functioning like these things, but without the, the rec recognition. Uh, deacons' names, as I said earlier, can be submitted from anyone in the congregation. Uh, those names are then presented to the elders for, for any comment and to pray over those names. Uh, they then go through an interview process and several months of study on the, the, the deaconate. Uh, they answer a number of doctrinal questions and then Lord willing, are ordained by the congregation. That, that seems to be what we see in, in Acts chapter 6 happening. Uh, elders, on the other hand, uh, are a little different. They're, they're not necessarily appointed by the congregation in the same way that deacons appear to be. Uh, they need to feel a deep sense of calling to the office. Uh, remember 1 Timothy says, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble thing. So uh, if a man is functioning as an elder without the name tag and feels a calling to it, paired with the, the church's need for elders, those men go through a, a process uh, along with their wives where both their life and their doctrine are, are observed. Uh, those that continue on and are affirmed are then recommended to the congregation for ordination. Uh, where we would lay hands on them and pray for them and affirm their calling. Uh, and with that being said, I want to finish this morning um, by actually recommending to you guys the names of our first two, Lord willing, uh, elders who, who will be shepherding alongside me going forward. Uh, these are men who, in my view, uh, meet all of the qualifications that we've walked through, and uh, they both aspire to the office of overseer. Uh, I've met with them. They've prayed about this a lot. Uh, they're reading books with me and moving through the process. Uh, so today, uh, I want to submit names to you uh, of Dustin Howell and Ross Cunningham. Um, our, our next members meeting as a church is on February 16th. And so if you're a member of the church, um, you need to be praying about these two men. Uh, if you don't know them well already, Reach out and get to know them. Uh, if you see any reason why they shouldn't be elders, uh, or if you don't think they meet the scriptural qualifications for some reason, uh, we want to talk to you about that. 
Uh, you can reach out to them and, and ask any question you want. You can reach out to, to me, uh, either, either publicly or, or privately. Uh, feel free to, to email me and ask any questions or, or raise any concerns that, that you have. Uh, as a church plant, we've tried to be patient in, in this matter. Um, and we've been slow to move forward on this process. Um, the scripture tells us that we should be slow in the laying on of hands. Uh, and so we've, we've tried to do that and to be patient and wise in this. But uh, I truly believe that now is the time for us to appoint both elders and deacons in obedience to God's word. Um, so we're going to pray and uh, take the Lord's Supper together and finish out our service. But afterwards, um, we'll, we'll take like a five-minute break and then reconvene. And uh, we're going to do 15 to 20 minutes of Q&A to answer any questions that you have about what, what I've just taught on uh, or any specific questions that you have um, of, of these two men that we're putting before you. So let's pray. Lord, we uh, come before you humbly, and we ask you, for wisdom and provision. Lord, we thank you that you haven't left us in the dark on how we're to organize as a local church. And so, Lord, we want to be obedient to that. We don't want to ignore it or stay behind you or get in front of you on this. We want to walk in step in obedience to your word. So, Lord, we pray that you would just give us eyes to see the way that you see and that we would be quick to obey what you show us in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for drawing us together in this local body. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.